your copy of Scripture, find Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 27, and we'll begin reading at verse 20. Matthew 27, we'll begin reading at verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to, re to release to you? Asked the governor, asked Pontius Pilate. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah or the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What? Crime as he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, how many of you remember the Lovin' Spoonful? Raise your hand if you remember the Lovin' Spoonful. One of their popular songs was titled, Did You Ever Have to Make Up Your Mind? I want you to listen to a few lines from that. Did you ever have to make up your mind, pick up one and leave the other behind? It's not often easy and not often kind. Did you ever have to make up your mind? And this is my favorite verse. Sometimes you really dig a girl the moment you kiss her, and then you get distracted by her older sister. <laughs> when in walks her father and takes you a line and says, you better go home, son, and make up your mind. Then you bet you'd better finally decide. Say yes to the one and let the other one ride. There's so many changes and tears you must hide. Did you ever have to finally decide? Sometimes you have to decide. Sometimes you've just got to make up your mind. Which brings me to Pontius Pilate. I love the Holy Land. It's inspirational. It's educational. We were there two or three years ago, and the, the experience that I remember most was being in what's called the, uh, the Fortress of Antonia. It's, it's 15 feet below the, the present streets of old Jerusalem. So it's, it's, it's 15 feet below the, the hubbub of the markets. We gathered there and um, I remember singing and I remember praying. We have a picture of, showed it this morning of Ed Perkins reading the story that I just read from that place. The fortress of Antonia was, was the barracks or the garrison of the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. The, its towers, it had four towers, overlooked the, the temple mount. Of course, Rome occupied Judea and the Judeans hated that. So there was always somebody trying to, trying to stir up a potential revolution and so they could watch over the temple mount so as to make sure nothing happened there. And, that's where Pilate would stay when he came to town. He didn't come often, but he was there for Passover because there was some 
concern probably that these Judeans, these pesky Judeans would, would try to overthrow Rome. So he was there to keep an eye on them. And he was staying at the fortress of Antonia. That's one of the most, it's one of those places in Jerusalem in the Holy Land where you can be almost certain that the very feet of Jesus stepped. You can see where the street begins just outside the fortress. It, the, the rocks of the street have grooves carved in them so that the horse's feet wouldn't slip. And it was from at least the room or an adjacent room where we were that Jesus stepped into that street to begin the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering toward Calvary. On Thursday night, Jesus was in Gethsemane, just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. Gethsemane means pressed or crushed. It's probably because there was a an oil, an olive press there. He was there praying with his friends when he was arrested by soldiers under orders of the religious leaders. They took him to Caiaphas, the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. The Sanhedrin had gathered there and they stayed up all night manufacturing charges against Jesus. And then in the wee hours of the morning, maybe because they'd been up all night and they were, maybe their nerves were frayed, the soldiers began to spit on Jesus and to, and to beat him and they wanted so badly to order Jesus executed, but they didn't have the authority to do that, so they, they took him to the one who did, Pilate. Pilate may have not even been awake that morning when they dragged Jesus with a bunch of hubbub into the fortress of Antonia. And he must have been confused. He understood politics, he understood religion. Maybe he didn't understand the politics of religion. He had heard of Jesus, certainly, this Nazarene around whom so many were gathering, this movement was gaining momentum, and suddenly, he was Jesus, unannounced, unwanted, un unrequested. Here stood Jesus, and Pilate bore the weight of the decision about what would, what would happen to Jesus. Poor Pilate didn't know what to do. So he interviewed him privately. And after the interview, he said to, to Jesus' enemies, I find no fault with him. I find no reason for this man to be executed as you request. Oh, they said, don't be fooled by him. He seems nice. He seems nice. But he's an agitator, an instigator. He's the rebellious, rabble-rousing ringleader of a gang of Galilean ne'er-do-wells, and poor Pilate didn't know what to do. So he sent him to Herod. Herod lived in Jerusalem, another representative of Rome. He sent him over there to let Herod deal with him. Herod let his soldiers have some fun with Jesus for a while and then sent him back with the message, you don't outrank me, you deal with this. The buck had not been successfully passed, and poor Pilate didn't know what to do. And then there was his wife, who had just awakened from a dream, sent a message to Pilate. Don't have anything to do with the death of this man. I've had a dream. I'm tortured in a dream about this innocent man. Have nothing to do with his death. Poor Pilate didn't know what to do. Have you ever heard of decision aversion? It is a psychologically, it, it is a diagnosable psychological condition. 
It is the inability to make a decision. People who will go to great lengths not to make a decision. Pilate was suffering from a, an acute case of decision, aversion. But then he thought of a solution. It's a holiday to celebrate the holiday. I will release a prisoner and certainly they will choose Jesus. So he, he gave them a, a real clear choice. He said, do you want this insurrectionist Barabbas or do you want this kind man named Jesus? And was terribly surprised when they said, release Barabbas. Poor Pilate didn't know what to do. So he asked what is probably the most important question on the pages of Scripture. I would argue the most important question ever asked in human history. He asked, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And he was not ready for the venom with which the crowd responded. Crucify him. Pilate threw up his hands and he washed his hands. He threw up his hands in surrender. He relented. I give up, he said. And he signed the, the order of execution. And then he washed his hands, literally. Got a pot of water and in front of the crowd, let the water trickle through his fingers as he said, I washed the blood of this man from my hands. You can't pin this on me. I'm not responsible. Pilate tried to not make a decision. He tried to interview him, and th that didn't work. He tried sending him to Herod, and that didn't work. He, he tried releasing him, and that didn't work. Try as he may, Pilate could not avoid a decision. Try as he may, he could not wash away his responsibility for his decision about what he would do with Jesus. There are all kinds of legends about Pontius Pilate. One says that under the shadow of shame and disgrace, he took his own life. Another legend is that he was buried in or near Lake Lucerne in the Swiss Alps. And it is said that if you go to, the, go to Lake Lucerne on Good Friday and you listen real carefully, you can hear the ghost of Pilate wandering around saying, I wash my hands, I wash my hands. Of course, that's legend. Let's get back to the story. Pilate again asked the central question of all history, what, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? And it's, it's a question. It's a question everybody has to answer. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You can't pass the buck or shift the blame. You can't straddle the fence or beat around the bush. You can't duck the question or dodge the question. You can't hem, you can't haul, you can't fudge, you can't hedge. Everybody who is confronted with Jesus has to answer the question, what will I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? You have to either Dismiss him or believe him. Reject him or accept him. Write him off or invite him in. To quote the loving spoonful, you'd better finally decide. A few months ago, I was at one of the civic uh, events that I attend, and I heard a man named Jim Hawkins talk about the importance of decisiveness. 
He said when he was 14 years old, he was riding with his, his dad was driving him to school through a suburban neighborhood. And there was a squirrel. There almost always is a squirrel in the road. And he said he saw, they saw a squirrel in the road who obviously saw the oncoming car, sensed impending danger, and began to run. But he didn't run to this side and he didn't run to that side. He darted, instead he darted back and forth. He ran this way and then that way and this way and then that way. His dad never slowed up, never put on the brakes. And God called that squirrel home right there in the middle (laughs) of the street. Jim Hawkins was, was aghast. He said he looked at his father in disbelief. His father had unsqueamishly squished a squirrel and he wondered, how could you do that? His father never took his eyes off the road. And he said, that's the price of indecision, son. Now that's a, why are y'all laughing? That's a sad story. <laughs> but isn't it a good reminder the price of indecision. The loving spoonful had it right. You have to finally decide. Dwight L. Moody understood that. He was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. Dwight L. Moody was preaching in London on a, in an evangelistic event. And he got word out, I guess through the papers, he got word out that he wanted all the atheists in London to come here and preach. He challenged them. Challenged the atheists, come hear me preach. And they came out in big numbers, four or 5,000 of them, packed the hall. Dwight L. Moody preached from the same text I'm preaching from this morning and asked the question, what then? What then shall we do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And he said, I invite you right now to make a decision. Will you accept him or will you not? And I invite you right now to stand where you are and tell us what your decision is. Stand and say, yes, I will. Stand and say, no, I won't. And they did. Yes, I will, one stood and said. Another were over here. Yes, no, I won't. And yes, I will. And no, I won't. Until four or five hundred of them had stood. But remember, there were four or five thousand present. So Dwight L. Moody said, now, to the other 90% of you, you have made a decision. By the very fact that you did not rise and say, I will accept him, you have made the decision not to do so. The avoidance of a decision is, in fact, a decision. Not to decide is, in fact, to decide. And some of you to this point, have made the decision not to decide. Perhaps in this room, perhaps watching by television or live stream, someone has thought a hundred times, you know, I need, to, I need to make a decision. You've heard me at the conclusion of sermons say, we're going to wait down front, and if you want to join the church or if you want to Decide to follow Jesus, you should come, and you've thought a hundred times, I need to go. Well, it's time. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means 
Well, you begin by praying, and it's not a magic prayer. There's no magic words, but it begins, the, the, the lifelong journey begins by saying, God, I, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I confess that I've made kind of a mess of my life, and I turn from what's wrong to you for forgiveness, and I plead for your mercy, and I will trust Jesus with all that I have and all that I am from here on. Again, you don't have to say those words, but something like that that, that, that depict a, a change and a throwing yourselves on the mercy of God. Some of you, for some of you, maybe it's not that. Maybe for some of you, it's coming back to your faith. You were hurt by the church or angered by the church. Maybe you, you made a string of decisions that have left you feeling ashamed. And for a long time, you thought, I don't deserve to be in a church. And for a dozen, a dozen, dozen reasons, you've wandered, from, you've wandered from your faith and you're thinking about coming home. Well, what's, what's keeping you? There's another fable about, about a big strategic, high-level strategic meeting in hell. The devil had some of his highest advisors there, and the question was, how do we keep these people from Jesus? One of them said, let's tell them there's no God. Ah, the devil said. Most people won't believe that. Another piped up. Let's tell them that the Bible's not true. Ah, good idea, the devil said, but I don't think that's the right one. But then the wiliest of his advisors made a suggestion. Let's tell them, his advisor said, let's tell them that you should make a decision. Let's just tell them you've got plenty of time. Let's just tell them there will be a better day. Let's just tell them uh, this is not the right time. Let's just tell them to wait. I know it's just a fable. But isn't it, isn't it true? And, and you'll have to answer this for yourself. Isn't it true for someone that you've been thinking there'll be a better time? There'll be a, a more appropriate time? day I'm not so bossy and so rude as to push you into something you're not ready for but I can nudge you with enthusiasm I can encourage you I can I can ask you what are you waiting for What will you do then? What with Jesus, who is called the Christ, sings?